And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. This season, we've been on a journey through different eras of mission history. And now we're taking a step back and we're zeroing in and focusing our attention on individual missionaries who have made a significant impact on the mission of the church. Today, we're going to talk particularly about Southern Baptist missions and a missionary that's very well known to many, Charlotte Diggs Moon, known to most by the name Lottie Moon. And joining me to talk about this topic today is my friend, David Brady. Dr. David J. Brady has been a pastor for almost 30 years. He was born in Guyana to Southern Baptist missionaries, Otis and Martha Brady, and he was raised in Belize. David and his wife, Jennifer, currently live in North Carolina. And he's been very active in supporting cross-cultural missions throughout his ministry, most notably recently an author of a book called Not Forgotten, Inspiring Missionary Pioneers. And I'm just really excited to have the conversation with David today. David, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be with you. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about Southern Baptist favorite missionary, Lottie Moon. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive in right off the bat. Quick overview. Who was Lottie Moon? So Lottie Moon was an early Southern Baptist missionary who had come from Virginia from sort of the aristocracy, landed aristocracy of pre-Civil War Virginia. But then after the Civil War, sensed a call to go as a missionary, went to North China, served for 39 plus years, and not only reached a lot of people there, but wrote letters and inspired Southern Baptists to pray, to give, and to go. And because of the offering that she called for that ultimately bears her name, she has continued to impact us every year, especially at the Christmas season. And so she is the most well-known Southern Baptist missionary. Yeah, that's great. You know, you mentioned some of her biographical information, some of her bio coming from a wealthy upper-class family there in Virginia. You know, one of the things that's of particular interest to me and thinking through her background, and I want you to share some more, a little bit about her background in a moment, is some of the connections and ties that she has even to my seminary here at Southern Seminary. Mm -hmm. I believe it it was John Broadus, who was one of our Mm -hmm. founders, who was preaching when she became a believer. And I know she ended up later in life having an interesting connection with one of our first early professors. I would love to hear you talk some more about her background. Sure. I'd be happy to. I guess one of the things is Lottie Moon has become the standard bearer of Southern Baptist missionaries, but her background is unlike almost any of the rest of us. She was from a wealthy family. They'd had a lot of hard times, including her father dying in a tragic accident when she was young. But just to give you an example of some of the background, Her great-great-grandfather, this is her maternal grandfather, was the first U.S. consul to France upon the suggestion of Benjamin Franklin, who then, a couple years later, becomes the first U.S. ambassador to France. And for anybody who has an interest in the gospel going into Northern Africa and the Middle East, that great-great-grandfather, 
he actually was the person who worked out the first treaty of friendship between the United States and Morocco. And he died in service trying to negotiate a second peace treaty, friendship treaty with Morocco, and becomes the first U.S. diplomat to die while in service. His name was Thomas Barclay. Another example, one of her uncles buys Monticello. I mean, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing. Her Viewmont was not far from either Monticello or from James Madison's estate. So she's right there in Albemarle County, large landowner, prosperous background. But one thing is, is of the seven moon children, they really valued educating the girls. And she had an older sister named Oriana, who becomes the first female physician from Virginia and the second female physician from the South. She actually went to a med school in, up in the North. That same sister, Oriana, actually went out with their uncle to be the first Disciples of Christ missionary to Jerusalem. And Oriana worked with Arabs, another name connection, North African Middle East connection, and she particularly worked with eye diseases amongst Arabs. She's the one who came back, not only her example inspiring Lottie, but she came back with books about the East and Lottie devoured those books. And so the hunger and the example was really set by many people in her family, particularly her older sister. But this sort of antebellum growing up, she's born in, in 1840. So she's really coming of age. She's in her early 20s when the Civil War hits. But she had gone to a very good girls' school, a Hollins Institute. Then she goes to Albemarle Female Institute in Charlottesville, which really their curriculum is sort of based on the University of Virginia. She ends up becoming the first of a class of women to receive an MA. Just think about this. She was able to read and had a degree of fluency in Greek, in Latin, in German, in French. And then as an adult, she learns Chinese. And then in her older years, she said, you know, I read my New Testament in Greek, but I think I need to read my Old Testament Hebrew. So she decided to pick up and became tolerable in reading her Old Testament in Hebrew. So educationally and background, just incredible giftedness and opportunities. She took them. So yeah, that's a little bit. Now I'll tell you about Broadus in a second. So Okay. Yeah, that's great. So you mentioned China. Obviously, she's known for her many decades of service there. Yeah. I want you to talk a little bit about what it was that drew her to China. What led her that? Were there any major life events that kind of led mm -hmm. to her eventually getting on a boat to go to China? Yeah. One step back. So she had all of this privilege, all of this education. What she didn't have was Jesus Christ. Mm. And she was a skeptic. She loved Tom Paine and all of his writings. She loved Shakespeare far more than the Bible. And so she skipped chapel in school, but they were having a revival, sort of a campus revival there at the Albemarle Institute, which was amazing. And they kept inviting her to come to these meetings where John brought us, who was a professor and the pastor of the church there, the Baptist church, was preaching. And she said, no, I'm not going to do it. But she ended up showing up at a sunrise prayer meeting. And the reason was that she said a dog barked all night and kept her awake. And so that dog ended up, was that barking, called her in. She heard the gospel. Dr. Broda shared the gospel with her. She believed and gave her life to Christ. But she thought she was going to be a teacher. So you have to understand, that's in 1858. She does not go to China till 1873. 
it's a 15 year period. And she has a whole career of teaching essentially that she does. She tries to help during the war. She stays close to home and help her mom. But then after the war, they lose all their finances. So she sets out, she, here's a few influences. She goes to Kentucky and in Kentucky, she meets two former Southern Baptist China missionaries that are there, Cabanus and Burton. And Cabanus is actually, at that point, what was known as sort of the associational missionary for all of Kentucky, the executive director, whatever you call him now, right? And they tell her about China, but that's just more like awakening her interest. She moves to Cartersville, Georgia to start a girl's school with a Presbyterian friend, A.C. Safford. While they're there, her sister shocks everybody. This is her younger sister named Edmonia. Edmonia, she goes to China with the support of the First Baptist Church of Richmond. They completely support her. She goes to North China, to the province of Shandong, and starts writing letters back to Lottie, who's a teacher opening this school in Cartersville, Georgia. And she says, Lottie, she says, there are a lot of people that could take your place there, but nobody could take what you could do here. And she said, please consider coming. Well, her pastor, one day while she was there in Cartersville, preached on these words from John chapter 4, verse 35. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And Lottie said that she left the service immediately. She went to her room. She fell on her knees and all afternoon she prayed. And she said that afternoon when she was done, it was clear as a bell. God had called her to China. And mm. so she went because of this, this connection with her sister, these missionaries that she had met, and particularly one missionary named Martha Crawford, who had started a school there. And she thought, I could use some of the teaching that I'm doing here in North China. Mm, wow. That's an amazing story. I, I want you to talk some about kind of obviously still Lottie, but maybe even spanning out a little bit to think through the IMB. What, what was the... Yeah. What was the IMB, or we know it's called the FMB at this point in right. time, but what was the IMB like at this point in time right. and some of the work and things that were going on in China? Okay, so the FMB, the, as you said, IMB today, the Foreign Mission Board had started 23 years before, 1845. It had begun as a split between Northern and Southern Baptist missionaries over the issue of slavery. So the Foreign Mission Board is 23 years old, but not really. And the reason I say not really is it pretty much was destroyed in the Civil War. So that ends in 1865. So you're just eight years out from the Civil War. When the Civil War ended, the Foreign Mission Board of the December of 1865 had $1.75 in the bank. Most of their missionaries had to support themselves or a little bit of support from Maryland and Kentucky, some of those border states that were able to provide some finances. But they were in a rebuild. I mean, it was a massive rebuild. In fact, they had thought, do we give it up? But they said, even though we don't see the money or the finances, we're going to press forward. So they were eight years in. There had been a little bit of rebound. And they had just started a mission in Italy, which was the first new mission station. So they're only serving in three countries, China, in West Africa, what would become Nigeria, and in Italy. That's the only places that they have missionaries at this point. But they decide we need to consider sending female missionaries. And so they had sent one years before. It, the situation didn't work well. But just right before Lottie, they had sent a woman named Lula Wilden, who's one of my heroes. 
and they sent out Edmonia Moon. Those two actually traveled together. Lula went to South China, Edmonia to North China, and then Lottie hears all of this. So she's coming in when finances are tight. The force is very small. They're just a few dozen missionaries. It's a very small force. They're in very few places. So she's a pioneer missionary, even though it's already 23 years in. And it was an experiment. They weren't sure if single female missionaries would work out. And of course, Lottie proved, yes, it can work out incredibly well. Mm, That's great. The Great Commission is a call to go. And a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu bgs. I want to talk some about her work in China, but before we do that, our listeners may not be familiar with the story between her and Crawford Toy. Can you yeah. talk through some of that dynamic? So when she was at that school in Charlottesville, which was basically like a college, university, the female Albemarle Institute, One of her professors was the brother of her best friend. Her best friend was named Julia Toy. And so Julia and her were just very good friends and always talking about her brother and everything. But she loved Crawford because he was probably the only person with an intellect that could match hers. They were on the same level. And apparently, though much of it, we just know secondhand and finding those primary sources is difficult. So we'll just have to ask Lottie in heaven for the lowdown (laughs) on how all this went. But there developed an attraction, a romance, a common vision between the professor, who was a very young man at that point, Crawford Toy, and his student, Lottie Moon, who was not much different in age. And at that point, the FMB had their eye on starting a new station. And that new station was to open up Japan. Japan had just been opened to the South by Commodore Perry. And just a few years before, the United States had just signed a treaty. He apparently invites her, will you go with me? Because they needed to be married, these young men. And for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. The Civil War interrupts the romance. And it would be years later, though, that Right about the time that Crawford Toy was being dismissed from Southern Seminary, where he was the star of the faculty, because he had embraced higher biblical criticism, basically saying you can have the truth, but the historical stuff, it doesn't have to be true, as long as the spiritual truths are true. And in addition, he had fully embraced Darwinism. And so he was dismissed from Southern, would land on his feet at Harvard, And it was during this time that he started writing letters back to Lottie and they rekindled this romance. Now, this is one of the things you gotta love about Lottie. Lottie was not a person who just said, well, everybody's saying this is wrong, I can't do it. 
She read Darwin on the origin of species. She read books on biblical higher criticism because she wanted to understand. And this is one of the things that she said. Let me read what she said. She said, the professor, and that's Professor Toy, now espouses theories that do not square with God's word. And she she said, I'm not going to follow him. Later in her life, a young relative asked her if she'd ever been in love. And this is what Lottie said, yes. But God had first claim on my life. And since the two conflicted, there could be no question about the result. And she said, my cross was loneliness. So she chose the loneliness of faithfulness to Christ and to the mission of getting the gospel to some of the very poorest and most isolated people, rather than something that she as a person would have loved. Mm. She would have loved the intellectual environment of that marriage with Crawford Toy, of living in Harvard. And that would have been so appealing to her as a natural person. But she had consecrated her life to the call of Jesus and she was faithful to it. Even when she was tempted here, she said, no, the two conflict, I go with God's word. Amen. No, that's that's fascinating. All right. I, I want to talk some about her work in China. How long was she in China? What did her work look like? Can you tell our listeners about some of those things? Sure. So she went to North China, to the province of Shandong. And Shandong, they called it at that point Shantung. That's how it was transliterated. It was the most recently opened provinces of China. China had been closed to outsiders, but various wars had opened them up. And in 1860, Southern Baptists were among the first people, Protestants, to enter Shandong. Our first male missionary was martyred there, Landrum Holmes. So this province, by the way, this northern province, it's about the town that Lottie's going to live in is called Tengchao, today Pinglai. It's about the same latitude as Louisville. So it would have very similar temperature as Louisville, Kentucky, though it was on the coast. This province juts out of mainland China like it's a dog's head reaching toward Manchuria and Korea. It really is very far out. In fact, China is today building a massive, the largest undersea tunnel between Manchuria from Daling and Yantai, which is Manchuria to Shandong. But Shandong was 7,000 miles with a town she lived in in Tengchao was 7,000 miles away from Scottsville, the town nearest to where she had grown up. Shandong is an interesting province. In that time, it was considered the most densely populated place on earth. Today, it's the second most populous of China's provinces. The most populous is Guangdong in the south. But today, even today, Shandong has 100 million people in an area the size of Georgia that has 10.8 million people just to show you how populous it was. And it was that level of density, though it was around 30 million during the time of Lottie. So she goes to this city on the coast called Tengchao. It was a city where people would come to take their civil service exams. It had a beautiful fort there. And she was among some of the very first Westerners, particularly Western women that they would see in Tengchao. She was frequently called foreign devil. If you've ever been to a place where people aren't used to seeing white people, as when I was growing up, you'd get pinched, poked, stared at, you know, all those sorts of things that would happen if somebody went to another place and they were just of a different background. It was that place there in North China. She lived there for 39 years. But one thing that was interesting, she also, though most of her years were spent in Tung Chow doing church work, local visiting, and particularly working with schools, 
She spent a period of time about 115 miles south in the interior of Shandong, working around an area called Pingtu. And in that area, she helped to establish the First Baptist Church interior called the Shaoling Baptist Church. And she saw, so you talked about 39 years, she saw a lot of fruit. She saw probably thousands of people come to faith, but she led some people, like, for example, in the village of Shaoling, she led a, a young Confucian scholar to faith by the name of Li Shaoting. And Li Shaoting would go on to become one of the greatest evangelists in North China, baptizing estimates are around 10,000 people in his mm -hmm. lifetime. Wow. So he's a direct product of her life. But her greatest fruit may not have been in China. Mm. That's a good segue to the next question. We have an offering that we we celebrate Lottie every single year. That kind of pulls in over 50% of the budget for the IMB. And I think it's, you know, in, in the 170, 180, 190 million range, something along those lines. How do you believe her life has impacted Southern Baptist missions today? Yeah, Paul, that's such a great question because I've thought about it. Because let, let me just say this. There are missionaries that have had far more sensational stories and experiences of kidnapping and just really dramatic stories than Lottie. Uh, there have been missionaries that have seen far more fruit in their own ministry. I mean, tens of thousands of people in their ministry. So I've wondered, what is it about Lottie? And I think this is one thing. Lottie's ministry was not sensational, but Lottie's ministry was solid. She was solid biblically, theologically. Her gospel was clear, which I'd love to talk to you about her gospel presentation. She didn't try a lot of tricks, just like get people to come in. She just really wanted to do solid, steady evangelism, discipleship, church planning. And she did it over and over and over again. But I think what really caused her to become that person that we know is that she believed in writing letters. And in fact, I'll just say, this is what she said. Lottie said this. She said, write. Write at least a half hour each day. Write constantly to America of the need of these dear people for Christ. And mm -hmm. she did that for 39 years. She wrote letters to the board, to the executives of the board, to board members, to family, to friends, to anybody that would take a letter from her. She wrote, and particularly she wrote to the women. And she, in that way, became instrumental in the initiating of the Women's Missionary Union, of the offering that would become the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So I think that it was that writing of letters. She had a gift. In fact, Crawford Toy, he said, as he was this incredibly educated man, said she wrote the best English of any person he'd ever read. Wow. And so her English was really good. It's very solid. She's not a sentimental person. She's just very logical, rational, but then she'll hit a theological point that just boom, it just pounds at you. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Because she was such a good thinker. Hmm. I often say that Lottie Moon was in terms of mission. She was the first to take Southern Baptists on trips, guilt trips. Hmm. She would absolutely say, here you are, there's all this need. And there's so many churches at home why are you not seeing how white the fields are to harvest? The question shouldn't be, 
should I go, but can I stay? This mm. is what Samuel Zwimmer would say a generation later, but it's really started with Lottie Moon. She's the one who said this, that we shouldn't be asking, ah, maybe should I do this? Instead is what would keep me from going because the need is there and it's so great. So I think it's her writing, the way it connected. She could tell the experience of Chinese women in a way that American women could relate. And the timing was perfect when her famous letter of September 15, 1887, that call for the women to organize a Christmas offering, along with a period of prayer and self-sacrifice that they took up. And a young woman by the name of Annie Armstrong wrote out a bunch of letters and they had set a goal of $2,000 and they exceeded it by $3,000. That was enormous in that day. And it provided some workers to come and help her in North China. Mm, that's that's good. I want to transition to some kind of rapid fire, kind of quicker questions. What are a few good books that you would recommend for somebody who's wanting to learn more about Lottie? So let me just get on my soapbox for a second. We need a new Lottie Moon biography. It is unbelievable. If you know this, the International Mission Board has never, ever commissioned a writing of a biography of Lottie Moon. Now that to me, when the Lottie Moon offering has brought in by God's grace over Mm. five billion dollars, total cumulative over its years. And the International Mission Board has never commissioned. The WMU has had two books written about Lottie Moon. And even though it's out of print, it's still really great. And this one is Catherine Allen's The New Lottie Moon Story. Catherine Allen wrote this on behalf of the WMU. It's very solid research, got a lot of footnotes. She does a good job. I don't agree necessarily with all of her conclusions or maybe even her agenda, but it's a good story told by a good scholar, and it's the very best that we have. To enable the new Lottie Moon biography that I'm advocating for, Keith Harper has done us an incredible service by having all of Lottie Moon's letters, not all, but most of her letters, uh, put into this collection called Send the Light. And you can read her letters to various people, particularly her official letters are in here. That's a great resource. But by far, the story that set Lottie Moon off was written by a woman named Una Roberts Lawrence. She wrote it in 1927. I call it the Little Red Book. I keep it behind cover because it's so precious to me. But she researched it for eight years. She was living in 1927 at a time, or all those years, at a time where she could have firsthand interviews with people that knew Lottie, because Lottie dies in 1912. So there's a lot of stuff in here that really should be considered primary research. It's hard to corroborate, but she does a wonderful job. It's a little different writing style than we would have today, but in its lifetime, this is known to have over 50,000 copies that went out. It was passed around our little red book compared to Mao's little red book. This is really the book other than the Bible, that I believe made Southern Baptists a missionary people in the 20th century. This little red book, beautiful telling, passed around, and that's a great resource. Just one more on the rapid fire. I love Jerry Rankin's A Journey of Faith and Sacrifice. This is when he and Bobby, who recently passed, they took a journey starting in Viewmont, which is where Lottie was born, and going through all the way up to North China and visiting the sites and their beautiful photographs from Don Rutledge. Sadly, all of these books are out of print. You have to buy them as used books on the internet. But these are some great resources. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. David, do you have, you know so much about Lottie, do you have a favorite Lottie story? 
Yeah, I do, Paul. Actually, I'll tell you two, and you may only want one, but I'll tell you two. <laughs> one is a story about a missionary who went out. Uh, his name was Weston Halcombe. Lottie had been on the field for a number of years. Weston was what they desired, a young man who was active and vigorous and loved the Chinese and was willing to do whatever it took to get and connect with them. However, during his tenure as a missionary, Halcombe began to question the divinity of Jesus, of Christ. He just said, I don't know that I believe that. And so in his integrity, he offered his letter of resignation to the board, which is what he should have done. But Lottie said to the executive director, hold off on accepting his resignation. Just give me a little time. And what she did for a number of months, she sat down with Holcomb and they went through the entire New Testament, verse by verse, trying to understand, is Jesus truly divine? And she kept writing back. I believe that he's going to come out into a brighter light. He's going to come out onto a better foundation. And it was really beautiful because this was typical of Lottie. Lottie was not just closed-minded and prejudiced. She wouldn't just say, oh, that's wrong. And you've got the wrong idea. You need to get out of here. She believed in this young man. And she kept reading with him to say, hey, let's find out not from what any other book other than the Bible. And I love that. Now, he ended up leaving the mission, but I love Lottie's heart, mm. really trying to help a man who had serious, sincere doubts mm. to try to be brought back to the faith. So that, that's one, but that's not my favorite. My favorite Lottie Moon story is this. 1911 is one of the most important years in Chinese history. It's the year that the Manchu dynasty falls mm. and the nationalist government rises. Well, there was a massive war between those loyal to the Manchu imperial throne and those that were in favor of a new national government that would not have an emperor. So when this war, which was raging, especially in North China and in Shandong, was taking place, we had established the first Southern Baptist hospital about eight years before in Huangsheng, which mm -hmm. is a town just a little bit north of Pingtu, a little bit west of Pingtu. And so all of the missionaries had to flee and go to the coast at the recommendation of the United States Council. They're gathered in the little town of Yantai, including Dr. Ayers, the missionary from Georgia and Alabama that started the hospital. He goes to take his family and these other missionaries to the port. They're looking around and they're like, you know, we're here. But he says, my problem is, is my hospital. I left all of my my patients and the hospitals right in the path of the battle. You've got nationalist forces on one side, imperial forces on the other side. I've got to go back and check on my patients. So he travels back into the heart of this battle, gets to the hospital. And as he's going around checking on his patients, he finds a very small four foot three, 71 year old woman walking from hospital bed to hospital bed, ministering the love of Christ and sharing the gospel with every single patient. And he's shocked to discover it's Lottie Moon. Everybody went away from the battle. She ran as a 71-year-old into the heart of the battle and wants these people that could die at any moment mm. to know the gospel of Jesus. Mm. She mm. knows that matters more than her own life, that these people know Jesus. Mm. Finally, after a lot of work, he is able to encourage her and says, Miss Moon, you've got to leave. So he hastily organizes the first Red Cross in North China. 
and Lottie Moon, between the battling forces, they cease fire for a period of time for Lottie Moon to walk out under the banner of the Red Cross with a number of wounded soldiers being carried out behind her. And she goes out sort of like the Red Sea parting and she goes out to the port of Yentai, which at that point, she's just over one year from her death. Mm. And yet she had a bravery and a clear understanding that it's not just something nice we do. If people don't have the gospel, they don't have God. They don't have salvation. They don't have hope. They don't have anything beyond this life. That's my favorite Lottie Moon story. No, amen, amen. The next question is a fill in the blank question. You can fill it in however you want. The best thing about Lottie Moon's life and ministry was blank. I would have to say, as I said earlier, the best thing about it was the beautiful, clear, convicting letters that she wrote home. I mean, they're certainly the most lasting impact that we can see. And that sounds odd to think that someone's letters, but hey, it happened with the Apostle Paul. Mm. It was his letters that God put him in prison, not just for him to be in prison, but for him to slow down long enough to write letters. So I would say that is her most lasting impact. Okay. Last question, David. If Lottie Moon were here with us today, how would she kind of twofold, how would she challenge us? And then how would she encourage us? Mm. Yeah, I think that that is such an important question. I think we know what she would say. If Lottie Moon were here, she would say, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And then she would say this, a young man should ask himself, not if it is his duty to go to the heathen, but if he may dare stay at home. The Mm. command is so plain, go. And then that she would say this, oh, that my words were as a trumpet call, stirring the hearts of my brethren and sisters to pray, to labor, to give themselves to this people. But some will say we must have results, else interest flags. We are now a very, very feeble few workers scattering the grain broadcast according to time and strength as God permits. God will give a harvest, doubt it not, but the laborers are so few. Mm. Dr. Brady, thank you so much for your time and for the conversation today. Thank you. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thank you again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.